Welcome to the Facility Dude Podcast. Here's your hosts, Bob, Papa Dude Bittner, and Tony Butler. Well, welcome back to our podcast this week. Uh, last week, we were talking with Chuck Wright, uh, one of our newer members of the Dude family. And uh, I've got Chuck back in the uh, studio with me this morning. And uh, Chuck, hope you're doing well this week. Absolutely. Well, listen, uh, we talked and you shared with us uh, a lot about the difference between GPS and GIS. And I found it very fascinating as uh, you talked about because my vision of uh, GIS was pretty much their pins on a map. And you really described how there's a lot more data that's available to be applied to that. Lots of layers of different kinds of data. And as a uh, former director of uh, facilities, uh, one of the things that you described the last time was the water shutoff. Even more importantly to me sometimes was natural gas shutoffs. And even I was surprised how difficult at times the utilities had difficult finding cutoff valves. And uh, with water and natural gas, usually the power companies knew where the uh, power cutoffs were, but uh, locating underground utilities and so forth. We've got a lot of our, uh, well, actually all of our clients have things that are outside and things that are in different places that we think we know where they are, but uh, over time we, uh, new people come in, people are replaced locations are forgotten. We, we tend to forget exactly. We, I think that I can pinpoint, I know exactly where that is, uh, but over time we forget the exact location. Let's talk this week a little bit about how we apply GIS to our workforce out there in facilities and uh, public works and departments because now as you've talked about all these different layers of information, I can just see a world of opportunities for our facility managers to know where things are and how they operate and information about them. Can you explain a little bit in, in more detail about how our facility managers might apply this information on a daily basis? Sure, Bob. Um, absolutely. I think you, you hit really uh, on a strong point where they're right out of the gate. Uh, we have a lot of information that are trapped in individuals' heads. A, a very frequent use for this technology is really to get that information and get it documented. Great thing about this is with the GIS, with the GPS technology, you know, put in a shameless plug here, with our mobile through one system in particular, it makes it very easy to put a device in someone's hand that they're already familiar with. They can go out, hit just one button, and have that documentation of where something is and have that back in the office, back on a map, so we can capture that information. So it's kind of a learning system? Uh, absolutely. As you put information in, I, I like to call it, especially with GIS systems in general, it, kind of interesting. I'll, I'll digress right off the, off the bat here, but I, I've seen a lot of people who, who are custodians of the GIS data. They take a lot of pride in the accuracy of their GIS data, and they really, really want everything to be perfect before they release that out and out to the people in the field and outside of their, their office. And while I uh, understand that, 
And while I definitely you know uh, agree with the the desire to have that accurate GIS data that that people can build a trust in, which is the most common argument there, I'm going to tell you I take the exact opposite approach. I say go ahead, let's take any information you have, everything you have, let's get it out to the people in the field. And what I like to say is let's get as many eyeballs on this map as we can. Because if I'm sitting back and I'm a GIS manager and I'm trying to catch every little detail and get everything right, I'm never going to be able to get to 100%. And we talked a little bit about time and things changing uh, last week. And so things change out in the field. So I'm constantly playing catch up. But if I can go ahead and get this information out in the field uh, to the people who can actually apply it, use it on a daily basis, you know, if they see something that's wrong, let's report that in and let's get it fixed. The more people I have reporting those, the quicker and the better, the more accurate we can make this model of our of our systems and improve it moving forward. I, I, I totally agree with you because I think a lot of times when we try to implement systems, particularly that require a lot of data, people tend to either get so frustrated they just give up on it because they want to wait till it's 100% we probably never get to 100%, right? Right. And so we get frustrated with it. So you're talking about a lot about outside. Does GIS work inside as well as outside? Uh, sure. GIS, is, again, is simply a, a model of what we have in the real world. So if we want to drill down to a level of floor plans, that's absolutely something that, that we have the ability to do. And when we have multi-story buildings, we can represent the assets that are in on those various floors in different layers. So we still have the ability to turn those on or off and use those systems. Very interesting. I, uh, I've seen some uh, stuff in our development where we have pinpoints on the map that show the numbers of work orders in a location. This is kind of dynamic and changing data, but I'm pretty certain that that data is coming from somewhere filling in on this GIS map that's kind of a dynamic changing all the time. Is that correct? And and can that data, obviously, the population changes and grows. It just described last week about making surveys of numbers of people that live in an, in an area and planning for busing. Um, just, can you put dynamic information on these maps that feed into it and change all the time? Sure. So the, the GIS can consume data from whatever sources we have available. Um, you know, people are using GIS, but, but they're not using, uh, in many times, real-time systems. They may still have some paper processes uh, where people are bringing it in and they're typing in these work requests, if that's what we're talking about, at the end of the day, and those can still go into a GIS system. Uh, what we've done is really taken that a step further and made it a, a real-time system, or at least very near real-time, where those are the information is captured on mobile devices uh, and goes ahead and feeds into the GIS system um, immediately as well as then is able to send alerts out, additional work orders uh, to the folks uh, in the field uh, doing the work at the same time. So you really get that, that feedback loop that makes the system just that much more uh, robust. So I, I uh, kind of am going to ask you if this is accurate. Is something that we see every day as we watch weather forecast. And you mentioned this earlier about this being tied into the GIS uh, systems. And it would be kind of like the Doppler radar 
that is feeding information in? Would this be accurate over top of the GIS so you can see the movement of storms and, and the circulations? Is, is that an accurate depiction of that? Sure, absolutely. And then in other examples, you may have sensors that are out there, um, you know, uh, things like water meters, fire hydrants, water tanks uh, that can also feed back. So it doesn't necessarily have to be a human being that's providing this information. Uh, so we can monitor tank levels if something gets too low, if we pass critical limits, you know, those can flash uh, on a map. They can send out additional uh, email, text alerts, etc. So how do you see uh, our client base, you know, across education and public works, local government, healthcare, how do you see them applying GIS technology into their workspace? Okay, Uh, that's a very interesting question because it really just depends on where they are now. So, um, you know, there there are stages in growing a a GIS system. You know, obviously we, we, we can't get to the final stage if we skip the introductory steps. So the first step is really getting that model built for or acquiring the data that is going to be used as a base for our system. So, for example, we're talking about buildings and floor plans. Well, if I don't have a floor plan, then you know, my first step is I'm going to need to, to generate get that plan. data. I need to get that data. You know, that may be um, converting that data from, say, a CAD file into the GIS. But then once I have that, then I can use that information and start actually applying it, using it to do the work. And the nice thing about the systems and the technology we have available now is a lot of our asset-related data, so are things that are you know, essentially dots on a map, you know, valves, hydrants, you know, electrical outlets, anything that we're going to use, we can use the technology to sort of build itself. So bootstrapping it up so we can actually use the GIS to capture that data. And then once it's captured, now I can go out and apply and and perform work orders back on those assets. So if I would have uh, some property that would have backflow preventers on it, for instance, out in the hot box, when I get out there, I can record that location with my mobile app, and then it gets applied permanently to the GIS located map so I can refer back to it on a constant basis. Is that correct? Absolutely. And does it really, is there any benefit to the size of property that you have? I mean, if I look at a hospital complex that maybe has uh, 30 or 40 acres, as opposed to a, a town or a city that may have hundreds of thousands of acres, or a, a state, or a, even a nation, a, a, some organization that has property over lots of areas, is this still all applicable regardless of size? It, it absolutely is. And, and in fact, I would say the larger area you have, the more essential it becomes to actually manage. The, the, the bigger the site, the more important it is to have that GIS uh, information available. You know, if I'm, if I'm dealing with an area that may be a half an acre, quarter acre in size where I can walk from one part to another in oh, 30 seconds, then, then yeah, I probably got my hands wrapped around that one. As I grow that out, become bigger organizations, need to manage more data, uh, it becomes more critical to have a GIS system so I really know what those relationships are, where everything is, where I'm deploying resources, etc. One of the things that I found interesting uh, in learning about public works is reflectivity off of signs and having to go out and uh, making sure that road signs are are appropriate and that people can see them. 
uh, I would think that this would be a great application for logging and recording where all these signs are so you know where you have to go back to from time to time. Uh, is this a good application for something like that? I, absolutely. It's one of our uh, you know, most common applications. People you know, first kind of start off because not only is it applicable, it's been ignored in the past, and it's really, really easy to get out there and get done in a, in a quick um, manner. So uh, signs are, are a great example. Uh, it's one of those in, in the GIS land, it's typically one of those ignored layers where people may have not gone out and actually located their signs. Even though you know, every sign is a, is a very valuable asset, you know, we're looking at a, a single sign blade for a, a common street sign, the ones that commonly show up in uh, college dorm rooms. Right. Um, you know, those, those are, are you know, 120 $130 items that had to be, you know, personally lettered uh, by somebody in a shop, and that's not counting the pole that it's on. Along with that, obviously, we need to know when those signs are are visible. Make sure there's not a tree or brush overgrown, because you know, if someone doesn't see a stop sign, there's an accident. Then where does that liability end up? You know. It could potentially be back on whoever's responsible for that sign. So through this system, can you go find those stolen street signs? <laughs> no, uh, we don't. We don't quite have the technology on there uh, to <laughs> to put a GPS unit and track those signs. Um, but you can definitely go and use the system to do your maintenance, to do your location, and go from there. Another great one uh, that that's just a what I call like call a quick win. You get out there and you can get it done. Street lights. Okay, so in a typical scenario uh, where uh, a city or town is not providing their own electricity, they're purchasing that through a co-op or an electric company. In those cases, they're paying uh, many times for those lights just by a total count, whether they're burning or not. And so they have the ability, using this, to send someone out at night. Maybe it's a police officer who's already on patrol. And so they're able to then go and flag any streetlight outages. You know, why the police officer? Well, they're already driving around at night, and one of the major reasons for having street lights is it's a public safety issue. Places where we have street lights, there are less instances of crime. What about uh, things like potholes in the road? As a as a citizen, is there a way that I could tag something in somebody's system and say to the town of Apex, "There's a hole in the, my street." And right here is the location of it. Oh, absolutely. Um, citizen applications are a very uh, gro- rapidly growing part of the GIS systems. And what we've seen here with uh, the you know, improvements in technology is just more and more data sources feeding into to the system. And you know, it's very valuable to have that coming from the, the citizens as well. Uh, we like to consider that a force multiplier. So now we have more individuals that are able to report in. We can get things faster. But also realize while we're using this, uh, you don't necessarily have to wait for a citizen to complain. We can be, um, rather than reactive, we can be proactive. So our employees now have the ability as they're driving down the road, uh, they could report that, that pothole even if it's not something, they're not in the streets department. So we can go ahead and get it fixed before a citizen reaches the point that they feel like they need to bring it up. So uh, something very easy just to kind of hit a button and here it is and and away they go, so it doesn't, doesn't take a long time, but it gives them good, accurate data as to the location of it. Absolutely. And also it helps us having that GIS system as well because 
pothole is a great example uh, you know, of who owns that problem. So in the case of a pothole, that may be on a city street. It may be on a state road. It may be on a federal highway. And so when that report comes in, we can quickly, immediately compare that back to the GIS data and get the right agency involved. That, who really actually owns that piece of the, of the road that you're on that you've taken it. Correct. Very, very interesting. Well, Chuck, I, I just uh, appreciate so much you have been, been here and talked to us about this. And I think it really is going to open the eyes of a lot of our uh, folks out there, maybe not even have looked at the GIS uh, application in a way that they can see possibilities that can really help them improve the delivery of their work, the accuracy of their work, and the speed to repair and, and action, action the repair of the work. There's just so much. Uh, my mind's just spinning uh, 100 miles an hour here of, of things that uh, could be done with this information. We really are excited about you and, and Mobile 311 becoming a part of uh, the Dude family. We're going to talk some more uh, in later uh, podcasts about this GIS and some of the things that we're, we're going to do with it here at the Dude specifically. But and I've I've been able to take a, a couple quick picks, uh, peeks behind the uh, behind the covers, so to speak, and see some really exciting stuff. And I think our clients are going to be really thrilled with uh, the technology that you've developed and the things that uh, we're going to be able to do together to make everything more powerful for our users. Absolutely, and it's certainly uh, very exciting. Um, it's something that I'm personally passionate about. And you know, just remember, we've only scratched the surface. Uh, we haven't really gotten into all the cool stuff yet. Well, maybe we'll uh, save that, and maybe we'll just have a uh, total segment on cool stuff about GIS uh, coming up. And, Sounds uh, great. And uh, so thanks for being here again today. Folks, uh, we appreciate so much your listening. If you've got questions or comments or things that you'd like to know about uh, GIS, GPS, not sure we'll address much with the IRS, but uh, uh, you can ask. And we might have a comment about it. You can find us on Stitchers and iTunes, and uh, we just really would like some of your feedback. So thanks again for being with us today. We will look forward to talking to you again next week. Thank you for listening to the Facility Dude Podcast. We love to hear your feedback about the show. Leave us a five-star review on iTunes and help other facility operations professionals like yourself find the show. Email your questions or comments to podcast at facilitydude.com. Be sure to like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Facility Dude. We look forward to hearing from you.